Heavenly Father, we ask that you would extend your mercy to us this morning, send the Holy Spirit, so that though the evil one tries to stop us from remembering your law, we would not forget it and we would put it into practice. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue looking at the temptations of Jesus Christ uh, at the beginning of his ministry. We started looking at the ministry of the Lord Jesus back in chapter 3, seeing the ministry of John the Baptist, which then led, of course, to the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And then as soon as he was baptised, the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert, or even cast him out into the desert, hurled him out into the desert to fast for 40 days and 40 nights and to be tempted by the devil. And so we've been looking at this time of testing that has come upon the Lord Jesus and we've been looking at the different temptations that are brought to him by Satan. And so probably this morning will be the last that we look at these because this is the third one that we're looking at this morning and there are three of them. Now the first one was where Satan came and and encouraged the Lord Jesus to turn stones into bread and we looked at why that was a temptation. It doesn't seem to be a temptation at first when we consider the fact that Jesus turned water into wine, but then we understand that he was being tempted to distrust God's word. What was the word that he was being tempted to distrust, that Jesus was tempted to distrust? Well, it was the declaration that he is God's son. And we saw that at the end of chapter 3 of Matthew's gospel. The voice came from heaven after his baptism that, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He was encouraged by God from heaven that he was God's son. He had this declaration. But the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so Jesus was being tempted to trust what instead of God's word? To trust his stomach. That if he is a child of God, then he should have a full belly. And so don't trust the declaration from heaven. Trust whether your stomach is full. And then the second temptation from Satan was similar in its attack. What did he want Jesus to do? Well, Satan wanted Jesus to jump off the temple. He took Jesus to the highest point of the temple and he said, jump off and see, basically, if the Lord will catch you. There's a quote given by the, the, the devil to Jesus from Psalms that the Lord would lift him up. And so what is Jesus being tempted to do? Well, it's once again to distrust God's word. God's declaration that you are my son, he's being tempted to trust the Lord catching him, keeping him from harm. That will show that you are God's son if the Lord protects you as a good heavenly father should. But each time Jesus has said no, he will trust God's word instead. And so this morning we come to the third temptation. What is the third temptation? Well, it's the temptation to inherit all the world's kingdoms. And we see that in verse 8. Verse 8, we read from Matthew chapter 4, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. What is the temptation that Satan is bringing upon the Lord Jesus here? Well, he's promising that Jesus will receive all the kingdoms of the world if he will bow down at that point and worship Satan. Now, how is that a temptation? Well, once again, it's a temptation to distrust God's word, to distrust God as his heavenly father, and God's declaration that he is God's son. What is Satan trying to get Jesus to trust in? To trust in an inheritance instead. To trust in an inheritance, the kingdoms of the world as his inheritance as the son of God. 
What have God's children always been promised all the way through the scriptures? God, as the heavenly father, has promised his children an inheritance. Again and again, he has promised them that they would inherit his kingdom. What did Adam and Eve have in the garden? They had an inheritance. They had a garden. They had the Garden of Eden with every fruit tree in it that they could eat from except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were free to live in it and enjoy it as a portion, as an inheritance from the Lord. And we saw that in the Bible reading that we had from Genesis chapter 2 just before. And then we look at Father Abraham, the great man of God. What was he promised and his descendants? Well, they were promised the land of Canaan, the promised land itself, a land flowing with milk and honey. We read in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. God, the heavenly father of Abraham, has promised Abraham and his descendants an inheritance, the promised land. And what was Moses shown from the top of Mount Nebo back in Deuteronomy chapter 34, just before his death? He was shown the Lord's inheritance for God's children. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 34, page 207, if you have a church Bible. Page 207, the Israelites have wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Then in Deuteronomy, Moses gives a second uh, hearing of the law to the children of Israel. And then we read of the death of Moses. But before Moses dies, what do we read in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1? Page 207, if you have a church Bible, page 207, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. I've actually been to what we believe is Mount Nebo. I didn't have to climb up as Moses did. A coach took us to the top and I got to look out from the top of Mount Nebo and sadly it was a foggy day. And, uh, but at, just as we were getting ready to leave, the fog lifted and we were able to see an incredible distance from the tip of that mountain. But I'm sure it wasn't foggy when Moses was up there and he was able to see much further than I was able to see. And he was able to see the inheritance that was promised to the children of God. And so all through the scriptures, the people of God have been promised an inheritance, a portion from the Lord. And we understand that's what children should expect from a father, isn't it? That they should expect an inheritance from their parents. This is what good parents do, isn't it? Good parents, they feed their children. They make sure they have full bellies. That's what... The role of a parent is to do. They're also meant to protect them. They're meant to catch them when they fall. They're meant to save them when they're in harm's way. But we also understand that parents are meant to give some portion, some estate. They're meant to write some sort of will that hands over their possessions when they die to their children, that there's an inheritance. It may be that they inherit the family business, 
as would happen much of in life's history. You would take over the family farm, you would grow up and you were born a farmer's son and so you would naturally be a farmer. Or if you were a blacksmith, you would be a blacksmith. You took on the trade of your father and you took on his business. Or you would inherit the family home at some point or a lump sum of money. Or even at the very least, you would expect to inherit the family teapot or maybe your mother's engagement ring, that there is something that belongs to your parents that in the will is clearly expressed is yours, that there is this desire from a parent to leave their possessions to their child. And this is the expectation that sons would have of their fathers, that they would feed them, yes, that they should have full bellies, that they should also be caught when they fall, but also that they should have some sort of inheritance. And so, therefore, when Jesus is declared to be God's son, shouldn't he expect some sort of inheritance from God? Shouldn't he expect some of his father's estate? And if his father is God himself, then shouldn't that include something of the kingdoms of this world? But when we look at Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4, What has been his inheritance so far from his heavenly father? Born in very poor circumstances. Born to rest in a manger. Born to have to flee from his homeland to Egypt, a foreign nation, because of the murderous threats of a king. What else has Jesus inherited? Poor parents who raised him in a despised town within the land of Israel, the land of Nazareth, where people would say, does anything good come from there? That is his inheritance from his father, a troubled childhood, an upbringing in a troubled town. And what has he got now? Well, he's been living for 40 days in the wilderness with no food, 40 days and nights, so that he is close to death. What inheritance does Jesus have here? And what does the future hold for him? What, in the immediate future, what is his inheritance from God his Father? A life of suffering. That's his inheritance from God the Father in the immediate future. Isaiah 53 promises this. Isaiah 53 verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings. That's his inheritance from God the Father, to be a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And what else? painful death, a death of crucifixion, by crucifixion on the cross, as his baptism has promised. We looked at that when we looked at his baptism. And why was he baptised? It was to point to the baptism that he would undergo in the future, the baptism into the suffering of the wrath of God poured out upon him. This is his inheritance so far. And did he like that inheritance? Well, when we look at Jesus just before he goes to his inheritance of the cross and the suffering that is there, we look at him and in the Garden of Gethsemane we see that he is begging the Father for the cup, the Father's cup to be removed from him. That portion that the Lord has given him as his son, he's asking for it to be taken away. Take it away from me. And so what is Satan doing here back in Matthew chapter 4? 
What is Satan doing? He's saying, if you are God's son, where's your inheritance? And then what did he say? Here's a better one. You're here in the wilderness. I will give you the kingdoms of the world. I will give you a better one and I'll give it to you now. I'll give you an inheritance that is fitting for the son of God. If you are the son of God, here's an inheritance that you deserve. But it comes with a catch. What's the catch? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus is promised the kingdoms of this world with all their pomp and all their glory if he will bow down. We read in verse 9, if you will bow down and worship me. What does Satan want Jesus to do? He wants Jesus to reject the heavenly father and adopt Satan as his father so that he can get the inheritance that he really deserves. He wants Jesus to adopt him as so many humans have done throughout history. He wants Jesus to remove his allegiance to the Heavenly Father, to stop trusting in God as his Father and trust in Satan as his Father instead. But what does Christ do in the face of this third temptation? Well, he refuses to bow to another father. He refuses to bow to another father. Instead, what does he do? He quotes God's word, and we read that in verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He again quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and insists that he has one father, and that father is the Lord his God. Now, why did Jesus refuse an inheritance that is fitting for the Son of God, the kingdoms of the world? Why did he refuse it? Well, it's because, once again, he trusted God's, God and his word. He trusted God and his word. Why? Because God had already declared to him that he was his son. And so, therefore, in Jesus' mind, he knew he didn't need an inheritance to know that he was God's son. He had God's word just as he didn't need a full stomach to know that he was God's son, just as he didn't need to fall off a building and see God catch him to know that he was God's son. He didn't need an inheritance to know that he is God's son. He had God declare it from heaven. And what else did Jesus know? Well, Jesus knew that God's word did promise him an inheritance in due course. He would have to wait, but one day he would receive that inheritance. How did he know this? Well, he knew his Old Testament very well. And he knew Psalm 2. Psalm 2, which we open the service with, which says in verse 7, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And what is the next words after this declaration that you are my son, today I have become your father? Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Jesus knew he was getting an inheritance, but it was not quite yet. Jesus knew that heirs usually receive the bulk of their inheritance after waiting for a period of time. Jesus knew that one day all the kingdoms of the world would be his forever. See, once again, when we look at these temptations, Matthew chapter 4, at first you think, 
is it really a temptation? Ah, yes, I can see the fact of bowing down to Jesus, uh, to Satan would be wrong. But what about the kingdoms of the world? Shouldn't Jesus desire to have all the kingdoms of the world? Just like it's, is it wrong for him to turn stones into bread when he can turn water into wine? But it's once again this idea that what Satan is offering Jesus is a way to know whether he is God's son and to have what a God's son deserves. So Jesus knew that he had an inheritance coming. But he also knew that he had a great inheritance, even there in the desert. What inheritance did the Lord Jesus have there in the desert? He had God himself. Fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which is the best portion of the estate. That is the, the wonderful thing that we have with parents. It's not so much their money and their possessions. It's relationship with them. That's what we delight in. And we can enjoy their estate even while they're alive with them. That is the portion that we want. A good child really doesn't want the parent to die, regardless of what they may inherit, because they value the parent over the estate, because the parent is actually the portion of the estate that they enjoy the most. So Jesus knew that he would get that inheritance, and so therefore he remained firm. He trusted in God and his word despite his lack of inheritance while he was there in the desert because he knew he had a great inheritance. Whereas we do not deserve any such inheritance, do we? Why is that? Well, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they distrusted God and his word and they followed Satan. They thought that they could get something better, that they deserved as God's children, that God was keeping something from them the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so they listened to Satan and adopted Satan as their father. And what was the result? God cut them out of his will. And not just Adam and Eve, but also their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids, right down to us today. We've been cut out of the will because of the actions of our first parents. But why else have we been cut out of the will? Well, because of our own actions. We have exchanged the Heavenly Father for Satan, for what we could get. We have not been satisfied with what God gives us. And instead we want what is not ours to have. And we listen to Satan. And we think that we deserve it. As beings who have been made by God. And therefore we take what is not ours to have. We listen to Satan. We are like the prodigal son. We want our state now. And we follow after Satan instead of following God. And why do we adopt Satan? Well, it's because we don't believe that God is a good father and will give us what we deserve. And what is the result of adopting Satan as our father? Well, the inheritance is lost. What have we lost? Well, we've lost any sort of right to food. We've lost any sort of right to a safe upbringing, to being caught when we fall, to having a life that is suffering and pain-free, both now and for eternity. And we've lost the best portion of the estate. What is that? Well, the right to a relationship with the Heavenly Father. By our sin, by rejecting God, by disbelieving him and his word, and following Satan, 
we have lost a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, we may get something from time to time, some more than others, but it will be short-lived. You may have a full belly. It's a wonderful thing about living in the nation that we live in, where we do have satisfied stomachs. The inheritance that Satan has promised us comes to us somewhat, and we live a life somewhat of suffering, free, for a time maybe, but there is pain and there is suffering that comes. But the, the, the enjoyment that we have of the things of this world now, this inheritance that Satan offers us, it is short-lived because pain and suffering does come. What are we like? We are like a man who murders his parents, seizes the estate, enjoys it for a time, but what happens? The law catches up with him in the end. The police come knocking and they cart him off to jail and the estate, the Ferraris, the, the, the uh, holiday home, it's all stripped from him and he has nothing. He is in prison and will never drive a Ferrari again because he murdered his parents. And that is what we are like. We may enjoy for a time the pleasures of sin. And Satan may give us many good things for a time. But because of our attack upon God himself, we have attacked God himself. We are guilty of attempted murder of God. Eventually, the law catches up with us. And we are imprisoned for all of eternity in hell. And even what Satan did give us is stripped away from us because the law has caught up with us in the end. So what is our hope? Adam and Eve sold our inheritance. We have given up our inheritance too by listening to Satan's lies. What is our hope? Well, Christ Jesus is our only hope. Why Christ Jesus? Well, Jesus is the only one who has resisted the devil. Always resisted the devil. We see him resisting here in Matthew chapter 4, but throughout his life he resisted the devil. And therefore, what does Jesus have? He is the only one who has inherited the kingdoms of the world. He is the only true heir because everybody else has walked away from God the Father. And that's what we read in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. He has inherited the kingdoms of the world. But how do we inherit the kingdom with Jesus? Well, it's by faith in God, by faith in his Son, by faith in his word, God's word, by the Spirit. If we trust in Jesus Christ, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we actually have union with him, and we are treated as God treats his true heir, Jesus Christ. We are treated as an heir of God because in our faith we are united in Christ Christ lives in us and we are in him. And so when God looks at us, he sees us as an heir of his estate in Christ Jesus. But how is that possible? When we have rebelled against God and deserve to be cut off, when we deserve to be disinherited and imprisoned for all eternity for our attempted murder upon our Heavenly Father? Well, it's because Christ was disinherited for a time on behalf of his people who trust in him. Why did Jesus suffer in his childhood? Why did Jesus starve in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights as the Son of God? Why did he die on a cross? 
Why did he not have the kingdoms of the world when we see him there in Matthew chapter 4? It's not because God isn't a good father. God does give his children food and saves them and gives inheritances to them. He is a good father. But Jesus suffered, starved and died because he took our unbelief, our mistrust of God and his word upon his shoulders. And then what did God do because our sin was upon him? God treated him as a disinherited son. God cut Jesus out of the will for a time because when he looked at Jesus, he saw our unbelief upon his shoulders. And so he went even to the cross. God put him there on the cross as someone who is outside his will, his covenant will, not his will as in what he desires to do, but his will, his testimony about what his heirs should receive. That is Jesus on the cross, a rebel son. That is how he is being treated there on the cross. But Jesus paid it all, paid for all the unbelief, and was raised to life, showing that he is truly the Son of God, who was always faithful to God. Even on the cross, he is there being faithful to the Lord. And therefore, we who believe in Jesus are adopted back into God's family by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is the result? Well, we escape starvation. We escape pain for all eternity. Not now. We still experience hunger pains. You may even be experiencing them a bit now. It's getting later in the morning. Yes, we still experience hunger. We still experience pain and suffering as hangovers from the time where we rejected God, our Heavenly Father. But in Christ Jesus, we have a delightful inheritance in heaven where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no dying. We have a wonderful inheritance that we look forward to. And we will dwell there for all of eternity with full stomachs, painlessness, and in a great and wonderful kingdom that the children of God receive. So what must we do to be heirs of God? What must we do to be heirs of God? Well, it is only trust in Christ Jesus and wait patiently for the inheritance that has been promised. That's the only way to receive an inheritance. It's not by your own works. No, you've rejected God in the past and you've been cut out of the will. But if you come in union with Christ by faith, then you become an heir of God. And you wait patiently. Wait patiently for the full estate to be given to you one day. At the moment, we're like Moses or like Jesus up on a mountain. And we can see something of the inheritance in heaven. We see it in the scriptures. Every time you go to the scriptures, it's like, particularly if you go to the book of Revelation and you read about heaven there, it's like you're climbing Mount Nebo and looking out at the estate that is to come. But what was Moses told? It's not yours yet. It's not yours. You will not cross over into it. And that is the case for us now. But we wait for it. We wait patiently and we remember while we wait that Satan as a father doesn't work and we're not tempted anymore or we resist the temptation that he comes towards us with to give us a kingdom now. Because we know he doesn't give a kingdom now. All he gives is pain and suffering and death now. Any joyful experience, any pleasure he gives, it's short-lived. 
And so we wait knowing that the heirs will receive the bulk of their inheritance after waiting. And it's often after a death. We see that in your inheritance that you look forward to, potentially, it's usually a death. It's usually our death that we wait, and that after our death, then we'll receive the bulk of our inheritance. But while we wait, we serve God, and we delight in the inheritance that we have now by the Spirit. What was the inheritance that I said that Jesus had while he was on earth? Even while he was in the desert, the portion of the estate that is the best portion of the estate that he had even in the desert? It was a relationship, a loving relationship with his Father. And that is what we have even now. We may not be in heaven, but we have peace with God. We have God's love poured out upon us. We have God himself now, the best portion of the estate. And so we rejoice. There's a now not yet tension with the estate, the inheritance that we have. We have communion with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We have communion with the Son even by coming and being with God's people, the body of Christ. Sunday mornings, it's a little taste of heaven itself, being with the family of God and hearing the Father speak to us. It's the highlight of our week because it's a taste of glory. It's a taste of our inheritance and what is to come. So have you seen your great loss? Your great loss. That you lost your inheritance by your worship of Satan, by your belief in his lies. Have you seen that you are guilty of attempted murder of your heavenly father? And so therefore were disinherited, cut out of his will. And do you know that you'll lose even what you have now, one day when the law catches up with you, that you're living on borrowed time as someone who has rejected God? But my hope is that all of you have also seen your adoption into God's family again. Have you trusted in Christ Jesus? so that you regain your inheritance through Jesus, the only true heir of the estate of the Heavenly Father, that you have inherited all things because his faith in God and his word never wavered at all. And do you resist temptation now to doubt your sonship because of your lack of inheritance now, your lack of food in your stomach, your lack of safety when you fall, and your lack of the kingdoms of the earth? Do you look forward with patience for our full inheritance while delighting in what you have? Do you delight by glorifying our Father and serving him and rejoicing in him? Do you echo the psalmist in Psalm 16 where he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, I have a delightful inheritance. Do you echo the psalmist there? When you think of your portion of the estate that you have now, which is God himself and the body of Christ, which is around you, do you say, surely I have a delightful inheritance? Do you sing with joy the words of Crosby's hymn, which we're about to sing in a moment? Look with me now in your bulletins there, the final hymn. Do you sing this hymn with joy? It's one of my favourites. Verse 1, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir 
of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my saviour all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my saviour all the day long. Is that true of you? That this is your story, this is your song, that you're praising your saviour all the day long because you were cut out of the will, but now you've been written back into the will under the name of Jesus Christ. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as our Heavenly Father. Although we do not deserve to call you Father because of our unbelief in the past, we come now in faith in Christ Jesus and so call you Abba Father through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for giving Jesus for our sin, for our unbelief, for our distrust, our mistrust in your word and then granting us relationship with you again and a marvellous inheritance in heaven. Help us to serve you and to worship you only as the Lord Jesus Christ did and to rejoice in the wonderful hope we have. And if anyone here, O oh God, is not your child, is still outside your inheritance because of the rejection of yourself, O oh Lord, we pray that you'd grant them faith by the Spirit now and adopt them into your family in union with Christ. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.